welcome everyone to our podcast number four, Boxes and Lines. It's myself, Ronan Ryan, and John Ramsey. And what are we going to talk about today, John Ramsey? We are going to talk about Greenwich Associates' new exciting study about buy siders and how they view uh, performance, broker performance, and what's important to them, and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Oh, I thought we were talking about Best X today, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, you what were does mistaken best X about that. Talking about kind of best execution from the asset managers, buy side firms um, perspective, they have a responsibility to make sure that brokers that are conducting trading on their behalf are doing the things they need to do um, to generally keep track of broker performance, make sure that the all-in cost that the brokers are delivering to them is appropriate, et cetera. Is that, that fair? Yes, that sounds about right. We've got the report is called Peak Performance, what the buy side expects from the algos. Right. Well, John Ramsey is already asking questions of the guests without introducing them. Once again, he's a <laughs> podcast pro. So before I introduce our esteemed guests on this podcast, I thought I'd introduce our new pod. We are sitting in the IAX Boxes and Lines podcast pod. And we're doing so because we listened to our listeners. That's alliteration, John Ramsey. Mm. And it's pretty freaking close in here, too. Yeah, it's so pretty it's close a, yeah, in here. But from what I understand it, uh, people didn't like the clicking of a pen. So thank you, Ronan, for mentioning the pen again. Um, so here's the thing about the pen. The first time we did one of these things, I was it was a nervous tick. I brought a pen into the thing. I was clicking the pen for a period of time. Many people have commented about the pen. It was me. Ronan comments about it every day. So... Let's just give me a friggin' break, okay? So I took some of John's salary and we built ourselves a pod, and today we're interviewing Eric Stockland from IEX Group and Richard Johnson from Greenwich Associates. And just to give you some background on why we're doing this interview is, you know, Best X is one of those topics, or performance of the buy side is one of those topics that if you ask 10 people, you get 20 different answers and no one can sort of hit the nail on the head on what it is and what, what, what do the buy side care about or value from a performance standpoint. Rather than IEX picking up the phone and calling the buy side and asking them those questions, we wanted an unbiased view of it. So uh, we commissioned Greenwich, Asso Greenwich Associates to do that study, not only because we want an unbiased study, but we want it to be usable to the sell side, to the buy side, and not in any way be skewed from an IEX perspective. So Richard, would you take us through the methodology of this uh, study? Uh, yeah, for sure. So we did, uh, Greenwich Associates is you know, well known for, we've been around for 45 years and a lot of what we've done has always been going out to market participants, asking them about how they feel you know, about different brokers they use, which products they use and so forth. Um, we're in the mar I'm in the market structure and technology group, so we look at kind of what's going on in the market structure space, um, leveraging the network that Greenwich Associates has, which is um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different buy-side traders around the globe. For this study, we focused on the US, obviously that's your core market. We spoke to 92 buy-side traders, um, mostly head traders, but some you know, you know, regular traders and some uh, market structure specialists on the desk. And we asked them a series of questions about, um, you know, what do they think about best, best execution? And obviously you guys were very involved in the questionnaire design. Yep. Um, and I think it's about 20 different questions and we've kind of an, you know, aggregated it and analyzed it in this report and gone out uh, to the buyer side. But it went, we went out blind, so they didn't know it was IEX asking these questions, it was Greenwich Associates. And what I really appreciate about doing this study with you guys is that um, you guys were very, you, you know, you guys are very detail oriented. I think people know that. Yeah. Um, it's got to be 350 microseconds, for example, <laughs> right? Um, and you had a very, very specific idea about what you wanted to do. And I think what we've done with this report is, frankly, it's the most 
um, detailed look on an algo by algo basis about what that what the buyer side wants. Fantastic. Um, so we're going to go into I call, I'm calling them algo KPIs, the key performance indicators that are what's going to drive uh, a buy side traders to use this VWAP algo over this other one or this liquidity sourcing algo over another one. I'd say what was most surprising was where we asked, uh, it's kind of one of the earlier questions in the study, like what is the, you know, what is your preferred versus actual order execution? And um, you know, the, the basically we said, where do you execute uh, your flow to the buy side? And it's like, you know, the, the answer choices were exchanges, broker owned pools, negotiated ATSs, um, and so forth. And it came back that they were, they told us they were, you know, they were executing 50% on exchanges and would rather be doing, you know, less than that. Uh, and the reasons they gave us, I'm sure they didn't mean IDX, of course. No, but, absolutely not. But the reasons they gave us was that they can, you know, when they're executing in negotiated crosses or ATSs, they can get a greater executed quantity with less information leakage. Well, that, so that stuck out to me, too. I can't say that it was necessarily surprising, right? Because, I mean, I think the general sense among buy-side folks is that there's all kinds of risks executing on exchange. They, you know, they try to avoid exchanges where they can, which is why we've been working so hard to create an alternative sort of exchange. Um, but that's, I mean, I thought that was really remarkable that um, they really wish they could do less than they are doing, and they're only doing like half of the their total order. Uh, one thing that yeah. was surprising, and I'd like to bounce it over to Eric, is, you know, along that same vein and doing more off-exchange, I found it very strange that um, there seemed to be a lack of interest on ATS segmentation. I thought, based on meetings we've had with the buy side and the sell side around their own pools, that segmentation was very important, or more important to the buy side. Did you have any read on that, Eric? So I think what was interesting to me on the uh, lack of segmentation as a as a sort of popular benchmark for dark aggregators is it contrasts really strongly with how much time we spent. Uh, I used to be a proprietary trader at an electronic market making firm, and we spent hours in meetings with brokers, understanding their pools, their ATSs, the counterparty blocks we could put in place, uh, and it was a, it was a huge source of edge. And so I think the study means either. Uh, that the, the buy side have outsourced this need for segmentation to their brokers and they don't want to get involved with the minutia about who they do or don't trade with, um, or they're so sensitive to, to liquidity needs that they'll take it from whoever they can get it from. Um, but it, it was a surprise, especially in contrast with how much time we used to spend uh, honing our segmentation across brokers. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting, Eric's background in particular from the prep trading community Eric was at GetGo, then KCG before uh, joining IEX, and he's always had a, a different vantage point to us. And I can tell you, when I first met Eric and would go to the GetGo offices, he was always a friendly Midwesterner, but um, I think he used to look at me like I was out of my mind. <laughs> well, in a large part of the time, you were out of your mind. So that's True. Probably that's a, a good yes. point. Yeah. So my, my favorite story is when IEX was, was getting ready to, to launch the exchange and uh, file their, their Form 1 um, Ronan came into the office with a couple of other IEXers to talk to us about their market-making program. And so I was excited to hear because market-making market programs typically come with a host of requirements and a host of benefits. So we're sitting in the room and we're listening and thinking uh, the time at the inside requirements are more stringent than uh, you know other, other programs on NYSC or on NASDAQ. The size at the inside was even more stringent. In the back of my mind, I was sort of salivating, thinking, God, the benefits have got to be fantastic. There must be there's an allocation. Maybe there's special order types, special connectivity uh, protocols. What did I give you? So I asked at the end, I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a really strenuous program. Uh, what's the payoff? And Ronan smiles and sort of head nods and, and giggles. And he's like, we're, we're going to put your name on our website. And I, I, I just belly laughed back at him because I'm like, I didn't mean to. I was trying to be polite, but it was so uh, 
funny, preposterous that like you would subject yourself to the level of of, of scrutiny for for no financial payoff. Crazy enough, you did it. I mean, you took the bait. The bait. That's like uh, the crazy thing. About I joined it. the firm, yeah. but I didn't yeah. make yeah. markets here when he, I was trading. He, he took a different form of bait, John Ramsey. He was not making <laughs> markets here, but thankfully we got him to join the firm. Appreciate so it. one thing I thought was uh, pretty interesting or surprising, I, and, I, and Richard, I think you you have a different view on this, but I was kind of surprised that. Eighty-two percent of the buy side traders said they sort of had the full discretion over what to do with the order. And the reason why I say that is I don't I don't think buy siders have no juice at their firms, the traders. But I hear lots of times from particular traders that they get very direct instructions uh, from their PMs on how to implement the trade. But it looks like here from the ninety-two respondents, eighty-two percent of them felt that they had you know full discretion. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what they said. Um, Basically, you know, how, what, what percent of the time does your PM give you instructions on how to trade the order versus giving you full discretion? And 82% uh, of the time it's full discretion, meaning they can choose whichever strategy they want based on, I guess, some high-level guidelines. Um, no, I wasn't surprised. I think, uh, you know, I think the market structure has changed a lot, obviously. It's much more complex, and I don't think... You know, I don't think it's the PM's job to be kind of micromanaging a trading strategy, and I don't think they've got better things to do than worry about you know, what's the liquidity in this venue these days, or, or what order type should I be using? Um, and I think also what we've also seen is that the buy side trader is moving more upstream. They're getting closer. They're working more with a team with their PM. Maybe they're doing alpha profiling, which is something we looked at in the report as well. So they're understanding how the PM trades, and that kind of you know, when you when you've got a deep level understanding between the PM and the trader, you don't, the PM doesn't need to micromanage it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great to see because I think there was a misnomer with the electronification of trading that the buy-side trader just had to put the order in this magic algo and everything was done, whereas in truth, uh, they've become more and more detectives or, or have had to become more detectives. And even down to venue analysis, I noticed, um, you know, based on things I've seen in the past, the level of venue analysis that buy-side traders are doing, but I, I found that pretty surprising as well. You know what? I guess I would go in a slightly different direction. I think the the surprise for me in this study, and it, it comes back to the ambiguity around what's best X, and best X is uh, in the eye of the beholder. My best X might be time to completion, your best X might be a rival price performance, and somebody else's best X might be uh, you know, information leakage or, or blocks. And I think the, the report really highlighted that um, the benchmarks people use to judge algos by varies wildly. And some of the benchmarks that they care most about are actually in conflict with one another. Well, it's interesting you said that because one thing I noticed is that when you're looking at liquidity-seeking algos, that um, when you look at what matters to most um, uh, buy-side traders, a very large proportion said that price impact in one form or another, including reversion, was like really important. So I would have thought, maybe without being very sophisticated about it, that for liquidity seeking, you're mainly just concerned about sort of getting done within a certain period of time, sort of whatever. But um, it seems like the, Im the, the, the issue of price impact is always a really significant it's component. It's a good point, and, and impact is a transcendent across algo types, but the contrast to that is uh, impact and uh, participation rate. And so if you want to have really low impact and really high participation rate, those are uh, anti-correlated. And so um, it was interesting because the second most popular metric in liquidity seek was participation rate. And if the first mm. most important was impact, mm. and those two work against each other. So mm. typically, if you want to have better impact, you participate lower. And I think the, the practical takeaway is if you're a broker 
and your best execution is a, is a localized utility for the customer. You can't give a, a one-size-fits-all product and say, this is the way Liquidity Seek works, take it or leave it. You've got to have a version that is impact-optimized for those clients who care the most about it. And you might have to have a separate version that's participation rate-optimized or block-optimized to give people what they view as the the best X benchmark for a particular algo. And I think that was the big surprise. That, no, that's exactly right. And coming back to you know, it can depend on the order type that the trade has on his desk. Um, and, you know, the impact versus um, you know, participation rate is a classic trader's dilemma, right? They'd like to get it all done right now with no, with no impact, but you can't do that. So there's a trade-off there. And sometimes it's about choosing the right algo. But also one of the other things we looked into is customization. A lot of people want to customize their algos based on their specific preferences. And I think that brings us back to venue analysis, because how can you customize an algo or get really involved in it if you don't know what's going on on different venue levels and you don't see what's working for you and what's not working for you? And I, I think the venue analysis is particularly difficult for firms who um, might only be trading dozens or 100 orders a day. The, the variance in the data day in and day out makes it really hard to get statistically robust results when doing venue analysis. And that's maybe one of the reasons, when you think about the, the VWAP algo, the most popular benchmark is interval VWAP. And I think it's popular in large part because it's incredibly low variance and you can judge it across venues compared to arrival price performance, which is uh, for one, one order, it's gonna look like a coin flip, but it takes tens of thousands of orders to start to stay something with statistical significance about um, you know, maybe changes in the venues you're accessing having an impact to arrival price And performance. what do you mean by interval VWAP, just for those who are not among the market structure cognoscenti? Yeah. Before you answer that question, Eric, I just want to point out to our listeners out there that I hope you're enjoying the sound quality of this because the next podcast, I'm going to record it in my swimming trunks. It's a fucking <laughs> sauna in this place, I have to say. It, it is. It's pretty. Well, I, yeah, love, I love to come into the next podcast. Carrie, what, what was were the we stupid about? question you were asking, John Ramsey? <laughs> I asked what's the definition of an interval VWAP. Sure. So the interval VWAP is the average price of trades in the market while your order is active. Typically, they'll constrain it so you know, within your order's limit price. So if you're buying stock from 9.30 a.m. to 1 p.m., they'll look at the average price of, of trades in the market at that time, and they'll compare it to the prices that you got on your child order fills. And the idea is if your average price deviates wildly from the market average price, something is amiss in the algo. Uh, the problem statistically with this benchmark is you are in sample. You're participating in the very thing that you're measuring yourself against. So it's not a robust test. The, the great example is you're a buyer of a stock and you've got you know 5% of average daily volume. You start trading and the stock is $10.10. You finish trading and the stock is $11. And maybe your average price is $10.60. And the market average price is 10.62. So you're thinking, I did great. I, I beat interval VWAP by two cents. But you you really impacted the stock, or it looks like you might have impacted the stock. When you started trading, it was a $10 stock. When you got done, it was almost an $11 stock. It doesn't show up in IVWAP because your own impact is, is in the benchmark you're you are measuring yourself against. Interesting. Yeah. So to address that problem, you would need to be able to experiment with like different using different algos or tweaking a particular algo to see how making a change um, impacts their performance. Yeah. One of the things that I find really exciting about the business today uh, is the consumers of these products have never been more empirical. They're incredibly objective. Uh, business is won today by producing 
quantitatively better outcomes, not by who took me out to a Rangers game uh, the night before, who you know my college roommate was. And I think the the objective empirical approach to trading uh, rewards the parties who are delivering better execution and, and better performance. And it's what this study is about. I think it's what brokers are about in trying to compete on performance for their clients' business. And I think I think the other thing is that th this gets to is like best execution is not a destination; it's a journey. You have to be continually updating your algos, looking at new venues, looking at new order types. And the only way you can figure out if, if one algo, if the new algo is better than the old one is to do A-B testing. You can do back testing and you can do simulations, but you're never going to be able to capture what the actual performance was unless you run a bunch of trades through both algos and see which is which. So we looked at this in the report and um, Obviously, it's going on out there to a certain extent. I'm sure the sell side is using their own prop flow or their own internal flow. Um, but we found that in the majority of the time, the buy side doesn't know that their orders are being used in A-B testing. But at the same time, they were mostly pretty okay with that idea. Like I think you know, the, the takeaway we have from there is that I think brokers should be okay going to their clients saying, you know, proactively suggesting customization or saying we've got this new algo we've been working on. You know, you know, we'd like to try some of your flow through it. I think they would value that feedback, value that engagement, um, and uh, perhaps a good opportunity for some firms out there. So now that the report's out for a, a few weeks, you think that that's how the sell side would use it? And I think that makes a lot of sense. How do you think a buy side trader might use this? Both the, I mean, I think it'll be interesting, obviously, to those who were respondents, but there's a broad swath of the buy side who could use this report to do what? Uh, I think it's given a hell of a lot of insight into the different algos and what goes on. Um, what are the you know, the algo KPIs? What are the metrics they should be looking at? Or, or the, at least what are their peers looking yeah, at? Yeah. Maybe they disagree with it, but it gives them a rubric to kind of build their own strategy around that. Yep. So, so I think one of the one of the things that jumped off the page at me uh, when you're talking about what's actionable for the buy side is that we talked about an IS algo and the the benchmark for an implementation mm -hmm. shortfall or IS algo okay. uh, is a rival price. And it's basically, when I started trading, how much did the, did the stock move in the direction that I'm trading? And people use a rival price uh, algos or IS algos, and they bench them against a rival price. The, the interesting part is a trend within the quantitative trading community to use volume-weighted average price or VWAP algos, but they care about a rival price. And they're, they're using an entirely different algo container to achieve the number one benchmark in an IS algo. And I think that is, that's actionable. It's like why, why are the quantitative funds who are maybe the most systematic and empirical and have the most orders to trade in a given day gravitating away from IS to VWAP when they're really chasing the IS benchmark? Well, we went back and forth on this a little bit. Um, in fact, the most popular algo is liquidity source, so not IS or VWAP. And, um, and that's consistent with other Greenwich studies we've done. And but at the same time, we've done studies that saying that IS or rival price is the most important trading benchmark. So the traders are, are benchmarked to a rival, but they're going to use whatever tools they can to get there. And to the point I made before, even when you're using a liquidity-seeking algo, traders say that a really, really important factor to them is what is the price impact. And that's the, the, the base truth or the ground truth. Traders want the same thing. Whether you're a prop market maker, you're an, you know, an agency trader, you're a quant fund, we all want the same thing buy low, sell high, and as soon as I'm done with my trade, I want to realize my alpha in the market. And therein lies the challenge. I thought you were going to say you wanted to be on the IEX website. I got a, a good comment from uh, after the sell side event. It was great to see our sell side partners come in here and sort of engage in this conversation. And I kind of, you know, similar question to what I asked you guys, I asked them like, 
how do you think this will be useful? And uh, one broker, I'm not sure he wants me to use his name, but he said, for everyone that's been on the sell side, you know what a delicate balance we need to have when trying to provide value-added execution advice, both internally and externally. We still have to try to be respectful and political in many cases and not sound like we're trying to tell traders how to trade. Hopefully this study helps spark some conversation. I thought that was a good way to look at it. We're not representing here that this is the holy grail of performance, our best X, but it probably is one of the best stabs from a report standpoint in the last few years on a recent perspective on how people value performance. Do you agree, Richard? In, in terms of the detail we went into, yes. And we were very focused on electronic. We talked a little bit about how they trade high touch, but going down on the algo by algo level, um, is definitely the most detailed report that's been published. And back to the point earlier about objectivity and empirical nature of the, the algorithm user today, um, and something you mentioned earlier, Richard, about the uh, execution quality being more of a journey. And I think to tie it all together, within the study we found, I think it was 48% of respondents said they don't know if their order flow is in an experiment, but they're open to it. And I think that's an acknowledgement that to improve performance, you have to take a risk. And maybe that risk is uh, in venue analysis and shutting off or enabling venues. Maybe it's in altering the schedule discretion. And the risk is it doesn't go well and it doesn't improve performance. You've tested a hypothesis and it failed. But it's also possible that it, it paid off and you've made an incremental improvement in performance. And the willingness of the buy side to endure experimentation to improve execution quality uh, should be invigorating, I think, for, for the sell side and for the buy side. You're having empirical follow-on conversations that lead to iterative improvements in performance. John, do you have any words of wisdom for us? I, could, I don't know how I could follow up on that, I think. Eric has been extremely um, eloquent. <laughs> He falls asleep yeah. every time just to kind of like he thinks it's shit. He thinks it's funny. <laughs> and another tradition we have, well, it's our second podcast in a row, that we present uh, our external guests with a pair of IEX socks. Beautiful. And Richard, I'd like to hand you these orange, pink, green. They're actually very comfortable, though. Mm -hmm. what, what is the uh, philosophical tie-in between socks and IEX, then? Well, what we were thinking, I have no idea, but it looks like Boxes and Lines, which is the name of our podcast. Our yeah. logo is a box. There's lines going through it, so we kind of made it up. Yeah, it's our second. podcast sock. I think we'll end the podcast on that. We try to keep these podcasts short and formative. Um, you can get the report uh, on the Greenwich Associates website. There's a download page. Oh, fantastic. Go on. So, John Ramsey and I would like to thank Eric Stockland, Richard Johnson for joining us in the hottest podcast. It's been a great, if, it's impossible. It's somewhat sweaty experience. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Okay. Over Cheers. now. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Well, thanks very much, Eric and Richard, for joining us today. We appreciate the informative discussion. Learned a lot, right, John? Uh, well, I learned a lot. Uh, I don't know about you, Ronan, but we certainly appreciate them enduring and putting up with this. Um, I think it's been helpful to our listeners. All right. Cheers, mate. Tune in to the next one. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.